Hello, hello, one, two. Hi, this is the first of a bunch of episodes I'm releasing in one day. Because I'll either be on tour when you hear this or about to go on tour or have just been on tour, something like that, I'm definitely not going to have the time to watch all the movies that I need to make a proper episode. And as the regular listeners know, these episodes tend to be split into two parts and they roll on for about five hours. So if you woke up this morning expecting to hear the first part of 1973, many apologies to you. That will be happening on the 1st of September. And and yes, it gets worse. I'll be on holiday in October. So that month, I'll be doing the same thing. But then I will be back the following month. I promise. I just don't want to bring you lot that have been so good to me, so kind and like so faithful and telling your friends about the show and things like that. I don't want to bring you lot half ass stabs at those big episodes so I'm not going to do it instead I've just taken a bunch of my favorite chats that I've already included in those long-winded episodes I just mentioned I've pulled them out straight out of context anyone can now listen to these individually I think there's going to be maybe eight of them going up today so have a look on the front cover if you like it click play many apologies again enjoy It's Breck Eisner's remake of the George Romero also ran The Crazies. I don't care what the calendar says. Opening day. That's the first day of spring. What's that? Whoa, 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 whoa. What the hell are you doing? Rory, you lay that gun down. You did the right thing. Would you mind taking a look at Bill? Sure, what's wrong? I don't know, he's just not right. She worries too much, I'm fine. You got any plans this weekend? She worries too much, I'm fine. Ben. Ben. What's Dad doing? been playing a statue. A couple hours now. Same look Rory gave me. We're in trouble. Is he dead? David, there's somebody outside. The military started shooting town folk. We gotta get out of here, guys! And of course, here we go with a letterboxed synopsis. Fear thy neighbour. Four friends find themselves trapped in their small hometown after they discover their friends and their neighbours going quickly and horrifically insane. 
So here we go. I have been looking forward to this one for quite some time. I don't know why. It's just ever since this came out, it's always been there. I feel like I bought this Blu-ray as soon as it came out. It seems to have been with me for so long, it's not real. And I understand that even though I'm not alone in loving this film, I get that the lovers of the crazies, we're in the minority here. And it says here on the box that George Romero was an executive producer on this, but I don't know what that actually means regarding his actual active contributions to this. It doesn't feel like a Romero film. It feels like what used to happen around this time in 2010, where each year you would have this big studio throwing silly cash at some massive production in the hope that it might capture some of that cultural zeitgeist or whatever. And you know, this did all right. It well over doubled its 20 million budget and it got a lot of bums on the seats in the cinemas. I remember it was packed when I went to see it. But I also understand, of course, that just because a movie does really well, it doesn't mean it's any good. And if 2020 taught us anything, is that you just cannot trust people or people's opinions or the people they vote for. And yes, I don't think this is perfect. But 2010 wasn't an incredible year for horror. I may have already mentioned that. I think it was better than 2001, the year that we covered last time. But even I can see that a movie at the number four spot in a list like this should almost be a classic. Still, saying that, and the reason why this is so high for me is this. If you want some incredible set pieces, you need look no further than that combine harvester scene, or perhaps even that pitchfork scene with all those bodies on the tables. That creates such mad tension. Even that ridiculous ending from the escape to the whole end of the credits, it's full of belters. And there's not really one MVP in this for me. It is a strange one, because as well as these set pieces, there are some really likeable characters. Three stand out for me. I especially like that frantic wife, whose husband is one of the first to go crazy. She's played by Christy Lynn Smith, who I did try to interview for this, but she wouldn't answer my mails. I can just imagine her opening it up and me fanboying out and then her going, yeah, yeah, I won't, I won't even acknowledge that one. But it's not just her. The two male leads here, they're infinitely watchable as well. You've got the hero, David. He's portrayed by Timothy Oliphant. I love that name, Oliphant. Uh, he is like the stellar casting choice here. He's the everyman good cop. And of course, then maybe, maybe you've got someone that steals everything from him in the form of Joe Anderson. He plays the deputy who slowly begins to turn crazy. And I'm never sure, is he someone I'm meant to love or if I'm meant to hate? I really root for the guy, but I know that I shouldn't be. It's a very well-judged performance by him. So as I say, I'm going to give it to all three of them. Christy Lynn Smith, Timothy Oliphant and Joe Anderson. They're still in this film right away from all those crappy kids that were cast in this thing. Now, as for the soundtrack, well, it's Mark Isham. I think it's Isham. Could be Isham, but I want to say Isham. His score is an unusual one here. At times, it is creepy and it's minimalist. 
and there is a few hints scattered throughout these creepy minimalist bits that will sort of trigger these jump scares that you can just tell that's why they're put in there. There is no other reason why you would do it. It is in there purely so you're going to jump out of your skin. And in other places on this soundtrack, like A Loving Hand, or the second half even of Bone Saw, you get this pounding drum that accentuates all this building tension around the scenes. But I have to admit, I really much prefer these softer, creepier vibes that are going on in the tracks like The Closer, Cedar Rapids, the ones that deliver those sinister, creepy vibes. And I'm going to play you a little snippet of Cedar Rapids so you know exactly what I mean. Now Arsham, he seems to be at home during these quieter parts. I find all those abrasive drums and stabbing synths on the faster tracks much better suited to like action set pieces than horror. And I mean, it does sort of work because we are dealing with all this bombast of like the military active throughout the second half of this movie. But it all just seems a little too heavy handed for me. It's one of those rare cases I think it might have been better just to have one note throbbing in the background just setting you on edge for the whole time rather than those rollicking drums it's just an opinion we've all got them but that's mine so we've got a rather special guest now i've got one here to chat with me about the crazies well i say that we talk a little bit about the crazies but i mainly wanted to know about his 2020 movie scare me which apologies now i do come back to a fair bit in this interview but The Crazies is as good as excuse as any to chat with this delightful fella. His name is Josh Rubin and he took this call sitting back chilling in his backyard in California. It was a real pleasure chatting with him. Now, as well as writing and directing and starring in Scare Me, if you check out the man's IMDb, he has a ton, a ton of comedy credits as both like an actor and a director. But as mentioned in our interview, his upcoming movie, Werewolves Within, that is currently in production. And looking into this a bit further, it sounds like it's going to be a rager. And I recommend two that you keep an eye out for it yourselves. So here it is. Please welcome Josh Rubin to A Year in Horror. Welcome, Josh. How are you doing? I'm great, man. Thank you so much for having me. I really uh, just wanted to talk to you about Scare Me, but to get you into the program, we've got to talk about another film first. We're going to talk about 2010's remake of The Crazies. Uh, thanks for offering this one, because not many other people were, when I've sent them the list previously, no one's chosen this one. And I just thought this was going to be a really <laughs> sad, ugly duckling, but no, you went for it. So thank you for that. I, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to. I actually, I didn't see the original Crazies, but I saw it, I saw this one in the theater and I specifically remember using the adjective satisfying. I found it to be a satisfying sort of action-y uh, horror film and uh, love that Timothy Oliphant. 
he is a great everyman. That's the thing. Like, I remember seeing him in that Santa Clarita diet thing on Netflix, and you just can't not root for that guy. He's great. I've been meaning to um, start Justified. Maybe that's like the next, like my fiance and I are always looking for a new show. And I think maybe Justified will be next on the list. Like, there is, uh, that. that's one of the things that sort of draws me in uh, with the, the crazies is that the characters are so likable. The deputy cop, again, he's someone that I can root mm. for. He, even when he turns, I'm a little bit, oh, I like mm-hmm. this guy, come on. Uh, and it's it's rare that like you actually stick with a character with that sort of arc that that skips halfway through the film, uh, but yeah, it worked for me. Like it was a really good casting, I think. It has, yeah. I wonder if that's kind of a, the spirit of why The Walking Dead has worked for so long. Is isn't it all about character? Like, isn't every show, no matter what circumstance you put them in, or if they have a fishbowl for a head, um, or you know, like the Umbrella Academy, you see young folks just like loving a series like that i haven't seen it but you know you get any circumstance from the zombie apocalypse to being in outer space if you have if it's about the characters i mean like we're re-watching the alien franchise right now it's like anything could be happening to sigourney weaver or to any of these characters and you're just you know it's it, it you're, you're in it because of her because she you know saves the cat and the kid you know. it's all about saving the cat right it's all about saving the cat <laughs> that's right sid <laughs> yes it. all right well yeah um when did you first come across the crazies i i had i was probably familiar with the original way back when when i was a kid <clears throat> but i i honestly i think i think the trailer really got me and i loved going to movies i was living in new york city at the time and i i, I saw the trailer and just thought it looked pretty rad and i remember going gathering a group of four friends or so who probably as we walked out the majority as we often as I would often drag people to go see movies I actually ended up going to see oh gosh what was the oh Willard by myself because no one would go see it with me the Crispin Glover Willard um and uh I, I remember being fully again like fully satisfied by it but I was I was super you know super drawn in by the trailer because not many of these types of sort of gory you know action-packed horror films have that kind of a lure to it but i remember this one specifically like I know, being a lot of fun and i i, I know it's, a, it's i guess you could safely call it sort of a um you know a twist on the uh, on the zombie genre you know how they're sort of they're the same person they kind of always were but a little stronger just as fast and super violent well you mentioned uh that there's a lot of action in it and you're right like that trailer is pitched as a horror action film and you don't really see many mm-hmm. of them I remember the remake of the Dawn of the Dead was also pitched like that. Uh, that mm. it was like, oh, this is going to be an action film, like with horror spliced in. And you mentioned this trailer. For me, when I watched it recently, it has almost every beat uh, in this trailer of the whole film. Like, if you didn't know going in, you'd be a bit disappointed, surely. Like, <laughs> it's giving the ending away. Yeah, right down, right down to the climax, right? Yeah, it's... Uh... <laughs> But I didn't, I don't know, for whatever reason, I guess, I guess this is just part of, I, I guess anyone in the, you know, maybe, maybe more so in just the horror community. I think, I think folks like us are just so forgiving to those types of films. We're just like, great, you gave it away, but I'll go sit through this anyway. This is going to be, this is, this is going to be a fun ride. And I think when this came out, God, I'm, I don't, I can't, I can't do the math. I got a 950 on the SATs, but I was probably in my 
mid twenties um, <clears throat> when I saw this film, and uh, that was the kind of kind of stuff I would, you know, I'd be excited and jazzed to go see. Like you mentioned, Dawn of the Dead. That's such that's such a good one. Zack Snyder one and I, I don't think of it as an action film too I think of that more of like a horror film but it was filled with action but this maybe just by nature of the fact that it was you know the, the small town cop or the lead or whatever else do you find them attractive yourself like would you be interested in getting involved with a remake I would I mean you know I I um I can't I can't immediately think of one that was sort of brilliant brilliantly done you know it's, it's a shame that the thing was rehelmed and that you know like i didn't see that but I, I i can just imagine that the cgi was kind of you know bastardized the whole sort of idea but you know the setup being great like like it i i adored it chapter one and, ch- and chapter two chapter two is it's extremely long it is such a long film but it's jam-packed if you're a horror fan you're like like the thing i mean there's a reference to just about every great horror film um, certainly that I saw as, as a kid. And then there's even, you know, the original Batman on the theater marquee, it like gets every piece of my lizard palette. So if you could, um, my, my, the brain, my, my lizard brain palette. So if there's, if there's something you can do to make a remake your own, you know, I really wanted to love the, the remake of Black Christmas. My fiance and I just watched that last night and it had elements of it, but I feel like that was con- kind of in the way of getting there. But, uh, I think if you could do something like, you know, probably what Karin Kusama is going to do with <clears throat> Dracula, Hurley Winnell did with Invisible Man, you know, you can, you can oh, yeah. put your spin on something truly classic. That would be, that'd be cool to do. But if it's something that's, you know, if it's the modern day Christine, I don't think I'm going to offer anything better than Carpenter ever did. <laughs> with The Invisible Man, I hadn't seen the original when I went into the theater to to watch it and i was so impressed with it that i went and bought a box okay. set that contained the original one um and it's a completely different movie completely different and like i just think that's a great way to to remake for the modern day just like there's your basic idea just run with it that's that's the wonderful thing i actually i just did this is this is sort of both a shameless plug and a testament to the um to a great studio and an IP. I just did what I what I perceived to be, and why I was reluctant to do my second film, Werewolves Within, is because it's technically based on a on a virtual reality game, Ubisoft. So I was reluctant to pitch on a game that I thought would be based. I thought it was going to be a video game movie, and it and it ended up being, you know, Ubisoft essentially said, no, this is this was this is part of our women film and television television fellowship program there's a script written by Mishna wolf and she just essentially just took the title that's it and she said yeah completely run with the concept of it so you have the spirit of what this game is um but i was the one that ended up sort of pushing the easter egg element well this is based on a game you gotta have at least you know some talisman from sure. the game itself and the setting you know that's what i would want but for them, for a great studio, it's just, it's, it's all about your studio too. It's about the gatekeeper to kind of be like, you know, uh, to give you the freedom and the resources to say, look, take the spirit of it and go. I think that's what, that, that's what would make a great remake. You obviously have your hands in lots of pies within filmmaking. Um, mm. but I, I've always been interested in trailers. You mentioned it earlier. Like, let's skip over to scare me if we may. Uh, 
I've already talked a lot on the podcast about the crazy, so we'll say goodbye. But like with this Scare Me trailer, there, there, there was a short one, and I think that is like the perfect trailer. For me, I was like, right, me and the missus, we need to get down, we need to watch this like as soon as it's aired. So we did, and all because of that great trailer. Did you have your hand in that? Is that part of your job as well? It is to a degree. So we were we were very fortunate with Shutter. You know, the folks at Shutter have such great taste, but but we were very fortunate with this project in particular for some reason to get um, a company called AV Squad, and they're a marketing and trailer making company. And they've done. I'm going to get their their sort of list, you know, incorrect, but they've done like the great sort of like A24 horror films, for example, like St. Maud had been their, you know, recent one. So I thought, oh, okay, great, they're going to keep yeah, it. Yeah. yeah, this allure, right, and intrigue to it. <clears throat> so they would send us drafts. And I think typically my experience is, especially coming from the commercial world as a commercial director, you're left out of a lot of the process. You sort of shoot it and then the client takes it and run with it. Well, not for my first, not my movie and not my, certainly not something where I put, you know, stupid amount of money from my savings into it so i i definitely gave them notes but what was so wonderful about ab squad is that they they just had such great instincts and it's why they're known as that company it's why they have that reputation is they have great creatives um so we had a great sort of foundation um but yes i gave i gave notes i always prefer to err on the side of intrigue and allure those are the types of films and posters you know you remember you know, walking into into the movie theater and you can tell the difference between the posters that just had all the allure to it. Typically it would be the actors' names, but if it's just one simple image rather than ten faces kind of, you know, Indiana Jones all around itself. I mean that those classic posters are wonderful. Um, but for the for the specific genre, right? I prefer for a horror film. I thought, you know, even even the Krampus poster I thought was pretty cool. If you just need the hand, all these great sure. comedians cross-pollinated, you know, actor names um, from different genres, from Tony Collette and Adam Scott, and you have this monster hand or just a freaky look of gingerbread man, that's great. But, you know, the, the trailer is everything. And, you know, I'm, I'm surprised when, like, our longer trailer, I think our two-minute trailer was our sort of highest performing, um, or at least had the most views for some reason, but maybe because the smaller ones sort of, you know, beget more kind of allure and intrigue. Let me check this, the longer version out. Um, but uh, yeah, I, did, I prefer yeah. shorter always. Yeah, it's a rare treat to find uh, so much care taken with a trailer, um, and still work as a trailer should work. So yeah, like mm-hmm. congrats on that. Like it's, I, I think it's Thank so you. important, so important when mm-hmm. there's so much content out there. Like, how are you going to spark the interest? And sometimes it's just that magic, magic, like un thinkable thing that just works and it really caught it so yeah mm-hmm. again this is this is one i don't even know how to to raise this but i will all right <laughs> okay um if you want me to edit it out fine but i just need to no know. no wrong answers okay. no wrong questions I- how pissed off were you when another film in the same year with the same title comes out <laughs> well you know it's funny god bless him you know we were second um, we did the title search. Uh, I think our, you know, you have to do a title search of the film. We saw that there was another scare me, and we sort of thought, well, they're, you know, an unknown production company to us, unknown actors to us. Maybe it's in development hell. It comes out, 
I mean, days, if not, you know, minutes before we release everything of our film and then tanks our IMDb rating and our letterbox rating. I mean, say what you will about letterbox, but you know, it's like to already have that, you know, folks going, you know, giving it a one star rating, but then Mm -hmm. also like, like on IMDb, but saying it, I don't think this is the same movie, but whatever, I'm just going to leave this one star rating. Like that was, that was what sucked because you're kind of looking at this, you know, this middle ground now we're kind of over the over the sort of hump of you know um of uh of of of, you know people people understanding what the film is and the zeitgeist of it all but uh yeah i i wasn't i wasn't pissed but i was definitely nervous that people were going to conflate that we weren't going to catch up but you know the fact that like i uh you know that confluence of events that she was in the boys and that she was kind of one of the most controversial most exciting kind of energies to hit that show and that 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 released almost a month to the day before we did and how that gave us some leverage that was that was huge that helped a lot talking about i am i think the second most important thing i have to ask you is where did you source that jumper or was that her own jumper Oh, the the beloved jumper. Wow. She, Aya had that for many, I think many years or a few years, and it bought it at a store called uh, Meg Shop. Megshops.com is the site. It's a vintage store in, in New York City. And I care, someone just recently discovered the artist who who made the print, um, whose name I should I should have at the ready. But uh, I was so wild to see. It was some super duper knockoff version of it, like a website advertising some wow. ripoff jumper of it all. Um, but it was it's crazy to see it was such a hit. And I, I did want to, I'll say about the wardrobe design, I really did want to have Sean Dermond, our, our, our wardrobe designer, has been a friend of mine for many years. Because we knew, you know, this film not only was going to be two, three, people talking in a essentially a brown and orange palette house um but i wanted him to i wanted us to kind of blend or provide a combination of colors that would sort of be easy on the eyes and the brain and provide a kind of punchy rate of change so so there's you have you have a complementary palette to what's happening in the house you don't have anything any colors that are sort of tiring or patterns that are sort of tiring to the eye to look at that are too busy considering the sort of lame palette of you know what we have going on despite the richness of color we were able to you know get out of it being a firelit brown cabin um but you have a costume change too you know she technically like a play she loses the jumper and she has the a different pattern underneath and it gives you kind of a there's a subconscious freshness to that i think as a viewer so i was sort of thinking it from i'm such a feeler and I was sort of thinking of, of it all from, from that um, direction. But, you know, it's uh, it, getting getting super cocky about it. It's fun to think of when people start throwing around terms like cult, cult film. I did think about what would the action figures, you know, what would the Halloween costumes <laughs> of everyone kind of look like? And, you know, you could dress up like Bettina, like Carlo and like, and like Fanny, but Fred is sort of just lame and that's that's kind of the idea you know everybody sort of has quite the personality but fred's personality sort of muddied and you know brown and blue and gray um like a bruise um and uh yeah it worked out for the listeners to the show that haven't seen scare me i think this is what really is going to pull you in 
I don't think I've seen it before, but your film has an, it's an anthology without being an anthology. And it's got a wraparound that actually works. Uh, that I imagine that you were years in the process of like, right, what story should we put in? How can we make it not just a, a lame wraparound? How can this actually fit in within the whole thing without it actually even seeming like an anthology? So much thought must have gone into it because I've been thinking about it since I've finished watching it. It's something that won't leave my head. Like how I've been tricked. I've been duped watching it. Like, because it's just a film. Like, what, what? how did you come across that? Was there a, a room full of writers or was it just yourself? Like, how did you mingle all that together? Well, there, you know, we could only afford one writer. I've deferred my payment. Um, and uh, I'm certainly, the, you know, the cheapest actor we could get. Um, it, was, it, was all, it was all me, but it was, you know, the, the script changed. I mean, the, the first draft, because I knew, because there was this kind of engine and motivation that this was going to be my first film and that I was going to do it, even if it cost $500 and I was going to hold the boom mic myself. Um, I, I slammed the first draft out in like three days because I, I wanted wow. to write something to my, um, to my resources. So I knew, I knew we had a house. I knew I wanted to, um, to act like really act, forgive the siren. Um, uh, you know, really act opposite a real actor, really do like the listening that, you know, I would dream about doing, you know, like for years and years of doing sketches. Like I want to, you know, really, really. Act. So I slammed out this kind of this idea with the engine of it being, you know, the gender competition and dynamics and toxicity and masculation of it all. But, you know, the, um, truthfully, I mean, each story is kind of a, 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 a vehicle for, for the actors showcase, you know, grandpa is the vehicle for, okay, I want this awesome actors to come aboard and play ugly and play this sort of creepy man, do this physical comedy, you know, do a, you know, a child's voice and have this kind of elegance and well, you know, beautiful articulation to it. I want to, you know, do the, the troll walk that I've been doing <laughs> since I was a kid, because it's just like a thing I've just, I, I've been doing since I was a kid. Let me just write something that, you know, feels very Raimi or Tales from the Crypt in a way. And I'll just make a story that showcases that. I'll do something that showcases, you know, this Saturday, Saturday Night Live performer, this, you know, cameo in, in Chris Red. And so some of those other ideas, like Venus is an old cobweb covered script idea I have and has been sitting in the drawer called Venus about a zombie outbreak that only affects women and unbeknownst to a mother and her child in the Catskills in the summer in a, in a cabin, there's wow. this outbreak happening and, you know, it's this sort of kick down, you know, to when it's going to affect mom. And I never finished it. And I, I just hit this wall and I thought, okay, that's going to be her, you know, her, her anchor <laughs> piece. Great. Yeah. And so I just, I just kind of piled on all these colors and I will say, you know, in the end, <clears throat> the first draft, Fred was, I sort of thought, okay, it's going to become adaptation. You know, the whole movie is, is going to be, they're talking about this narrative and then it's going to become the narrative. But rather than making Fred a light switch psycho, so to speak, which is what the original version was, we've been taking the script to various producers. And one of those producers is Ray Mansfield, who, who was early money in on Get Out and produced Black Klansman as well. Ray Mansfield did not 
put money in to scare me, but was, but loved the script and was kind enough to talk to me for, you know, about an hour, busy, busy guy, like in the middle of Oscar season. And he said, it would be more interesting to make it a little more muddy. You know, this is the, the grounded reality a bit more, you know, so that you, you don't quite know what, um, what Fred's going to do, sure. you know, and, and don't make it so, so simple. And that made it all the more scary because, and, and, and more real. Most women find themselves in a situation at the end of the night, having, you know, um, drinks uh, and conversation with a guy they don't know where they sort of find themselves, you know, in, in a corner and don't know what this person is going to do. If they're going to rough house, if they're going to make a move, if they're going to kind of do whatever. And so, it became this other thing. And I think that's why it's been so effective, especially in the messaging and the, the, the engine of it all, what was happening societally with me too and everything else without making it a me too movie. That's why it had an effectiveness to it. And that's why it got made so quickly. You know, I started writing in April of 2018. So that was when all the conversation was sort of happening and, and uh, yeah, the monsters of, you know, our industry are kind of being eliminated. I have to admit it's one that I've watched so many films and there's so few that like you're still thinking about like weeks to months afterwards and of course as I just said scare me is one of them it's it's one of those creepy things that just builds and builds and builds and before you know it you're not where you thought you were going to be and then when it's ended it's still not what you thought it was going to be it's, <laughs> it's amazing so yeah thank you very much for taking the call thank dude. you yeah, yeah, Paul, thank you, man. This was such a pleasure. Great questions and great uh, conversation. I appreciate it. So where can you watch... The Crazies. Well, pretty much anywhere. Go on any streaming platform and you can rent this thing or just go and buy it. It's still available everywhere. As for podcasts, I particularly like these two. So try episode number 95 of Two Dykes and a Mic, their podcast. Or another one that was great was episode number 121, 121 that is, of Very Bad Wizards. Their episode's a bit more in-depth and it goes through the plot beats, so be aware you need to watch this film before you actually listen to those two. All right, there we go. The Crazies. Excellent. Do you know what the most frightening thing in the world is? It's fear. Whatever you do.